Welcome to the Starfish Storytellers, the podcast that makes a difference one story at a time by bringing storytelling to life. This speech is about my interest in reading the type of books that I read over the years and my favorite authors. My interest in reading as, re as a recreationalist opposed to school started with Superman comic books. I really devoured them. Uh, and some, I know some people say that's not real reading, but I found that it got me interested in reading. Uh, and, I, and I read everything. I read, the I read the stories and I read the letters to the editor. When I, when I got to high school and college, mostly I had to read the assigned reading, and I didn't have a chance to really choose what I read, but I mostly liked what I was assigned. Occasionally you get assigned something that I didn't like, and I just have to read it because that was the assignment. When I graduated from college, I now had the opportunity to read for fun, read what I like. And I quickly developed a favorite genre, which was science fiction, and then a favorite author within the genre, Isaac Asimov. Now, Isaac Asimov was a Russian immigrant. He came over to this country at two years old, so he's pretty much an American. And his family owned a candy store in New York City. And when he got old enough, he was required to work there. And besides candy, they also sold magazines. And some of the magazines were science fiction magazines, and he was allowed to read them so long as he didn't disturb the magazine, in other words, so that his family could still sell the, sell the book. Uh, and he got real interested in science fiction. He started to submit his own stories, and after some false starts, he was successful, and he began selling, selling stories. He grew up, and he was still writing, but he didn't feel he could make a living strictly writing. So he got a PhD in chemistry and got a job at Boston University School of Medicine teaching biochemistry. And after some time, he got more successful at writing, and he was able to drop the professorship and strictly write. Uh, he's well known for robot novels. He developed the three laws of robotics. He also wrote a series called the Foundation Series, which was uh, future history of the, of the human race. But he kind of avoided aliens, and there's a reason for this. His editor believed that when you portray aliens, they should be portrayed as inferior to the humans rather than in superior. He didn't agree with this, so to, to uh, avoid the, the uh, conflict, he just didn't write about aliens, until he finally got famous enough and powerful enough he could do what he wanted, and he wrote a novel called The Gods Themselves, which had both humans and aliens in them, and it was very successful. He won the Hugo Award, which is the science fiction equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize, and he branched out into other genres. He wrote a lot of science fact for, for popular for the layman, and he actually ventured onto probably just about every genre you can think of. He wrote over 500 books. I didn't read them all. I maybe read 100 out of, out of, out of all of them. Uh, 
Uh, but then he died in the year 1992, and so my favorite author is gone. No more books by Isaac Asimov. I better find another favorite author. By that time, I had changed my uh, genre, favorite genre was now mystery detective, and I found Robert B. Parker was a novelist based in Boston. What I like about him was he wrote about his characters were mostly in Boston. They lived in Boston, mostly Boston, greater Boston vicinity. Similar to Asimov, he started out as a professor. He got a PhD in English, and he taught for a while at Northeastern until he got successful enough. I guess this is a story a lot of authors have. Successful enough to have the writing carry his, his income. He had three detectives that he wrote about. Spencer, with no first name given, a detective based in Boston. It was Jesse Stone, who was a police chief of a small town in the North Shore, fictional town called Paradise. And just Sonny Randall was a female detective who was actually written to be played by Helen Hunt. But this, this uh, movie never came off, but he continued with the character anyway. He also wrote westerns. I probably read almost everything he wrote. Uh, but he died in the year 2010, which left me again without a favorite author. So I've been searching around for another favorite. And I've, as, as I'm finishing up here, I've talked a lot about fiction. I also read nonfiction. I particularly like history, biography, and political books. So that is my story, and back to you. Welcome to the Starfish Storytellers. I'm the CEO of the Black Dog Group, a Marcom and project management firm headquartered on the east coast of the U.S. in quaint colonial Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm your host and passionate about storytelling. I'm actually on a mission to raise up the next generation of storytellers. We've named ourselves the Starfish Storytellers after the Starfish Story. The moral of the Starfish Story is based on the power of one. No matter how big the challenge, each action we take makes a difference and has an impact. One step, one starfish, or one story at a time. Every episode, we welcome a new storyteller who will share their story, meant to inspire and connect with you. Then we'll break it down and offer tips for any listeners who are ready to tell their own stories. So thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Today's episode is about storytelling from the podium, achieving public speaking mastery. And with me today is Bob Avalone a longtime active member of Toastmasters. Toastmasters International is a nonprofit educational organization that teaches public speaking and leadership skills through a worldwide network of clubs. And Bob is a member of the Lexington, Massachusetts chapter, which is where we met. Welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So um, we'd like to get started by meeting our guests. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell, tell, tell a little bit, bit about myself. Yes. Well, I'm a retired software engineer. For many years, I worked at various companies in the greater Boston area and as an independent consultant. I've been retired for about six years. 
besides Toastmasters, the other activities they have is being involved in my town as a, in, in the government in my town as a town meeting member and other, other uh, public service. And as a political activist, I'm a member of the Democratic Town Committee. I live in Lexington with my wife, Jan, and we have one son, Michael, who lives in New York City and uh, lives and works in New York City. He's a software engineer at NYU. Nice, nice. So um, thank you for sharing your speech. Um, you know, as you were as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, good storytellers are also good readers and active readers, you know, being being able to tell a good story, you have to know what a good story is and and being able to read and, to, and enjoying reading is I think is really good important. Point, uh, good point. <laughs> so um, you know, I from being a Toastmaster as well, you know, I've learned being a good communicator and a good public speaker can help in so many areas, like advancing a career, or growing a business, forming strong connections. Um, being able to speak publicly and comfortable with public speaking can help you promote ideas and it can move people to act. Uh, but in order to do it well, you have to spend a fair amount of time in front of people, uh, in front of an audience, delivering a pitch or an idea. Um, a lot of folks are, have a lot of fear of public speaking. There's actually a very high number in the population, about 77% of the population. Um, it causes them anxiety. Uh, in a class that I teach, I have a slide that lists like all the fears that people have, and public speaking is up at the top, and there's like fear of death by something else is near the bottom. So fear of public speaking trumps death for some reason. Um, but you know, and I know that it, you need practice. By practicing, you can overcome. And, um, and a great place to go to do that is at Toastmasters. So I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about your journey from when you became a Toastmaster and um, you know, how long have you been a member? Have this been the only group that you've been a member of? Um, and you know, why did you join? Good question. I first joined in around 2000. I was an independent solver consultant and I was underemployed and I had some time Meetings were Thursday at noon. Uh, I joined to, frankly, to improve my net uh, interview skills because I was trying to get new jobs. And also, even though a software engineer, most of, most of the time you're sitting at your desk working alone, you do have to make presentations. So I, I wanted to get help with that. And I enjoyed it as well. And I was a member for about four years till I got a full-time job and couldn't make the meeting, so I dropped out. When I retired, I went right back to it again because I kind of missed it. Uh, at this point, I didn't need it for my work, but I needed it for my avocation of government service and political activism, plus the uh, just uh, so socialization and meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I was looking up what is a Toastmaster. You know, I was looking up, I was on the Toastmaster site and I was looking up the history of Toastmasters. It's been a long, it's been around for a long time since I think the early 1900s, I think. I believe so. Yeah. Um, a Toastmaster is somebody responsible for promote, proposing toasts, introducing speakers, making formal announcements. Um, so I teach a storytelling class and I use a lot of the Toastmaster content in the in the slides that I use cited of course um, and 
I use a lot of different tools that come from Toastmasters to help guide people in how to write speeches. Um, when you are going to write a speech for presentation at Toastmasters, or even if you have to do a presentation for a town meeting, um, what is your what is your process? My process for writing a speech is to I I, I may I may just uh, speak it extemporaneously, or depending on the subject, I'll do some research and take some notes, trying to have bullet points, and then I'll practice it two or three times. As I practice, I might I might modify the bullet points, and I'll record myself. I used to do it on on my phone, uh, audio, and now I do it on my computer, vi video and audio, and I'll play and I'll do it a few times and adjust it as, as I go along. Other people actually write down every word and then they read the speech, I, and that's fine for some people. I find that that's a little stilted, and it's a little more natural if you're ex speaking extemporally from notes and. As a result, it's a little different every time I give it. So I, I, as you can see, I'm, <laughs> I, I use notes, and um, and one of the things, one of the reasons I had come to Toastmasters was to eventually practice so that I could deliver speeches without notes. I spend a fair amount of time when I teach in front of in front of people, and um, I've always wanted to be able to to deliver what I'm talking about without notes, and. Um, so you're suggesting that having just having bullets in front of you, still, you you can still look down at them, but you're not just reading uh, it. I, I tell you the truth, the, the 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 notes are just kind of a backup. If I give it a few times and I'm familiar with it, especially if it's about my life, I can pretty much not don't need the notes. I, you probably notes I didn't really, I didn't really go look down at them much as I was speaking. When you became a Toastmaster, were you just primarily going to the meetings at the chapter? Have you done service for the meeting at higher levels? Have you gone to any of the like Toastmaster conventions? Have you done any of that? I haven't done any Toastmaster conventions. Occasionally, I'll go to the uh, they they have contests at uh, at the at the at the um, next level at the area level. Uh, we, most of our members haven't been involved in the the management of the club beyond our, our own club. But mm -hmm. I've also gone to other club meetings to compare what they do. When I was down in Florida, and, uh, we before we had the, we, we now do hybrid meetings. We had strictly in person. I, I went to the local club in, in this town I was staying, and they said, well, you're a Toastmaster. You can have a role like anyone else. And they, inv they invited me to participate right off because if you're a Toastmaster with one club you can go to any club and and you can have a role mm -hmm. when you went to a Toastmaster competition what was that like uh, it's been a few years since I've done it uh, they give you a topic and you have to speak on it you know got a time frame and you have to make the minimum if you you got to be within the time frame you automatically eliminate it if you go chart along uh, and then uh, there, there's another group of people. I think I've also been a evaluator. And then there's a group of evaluators. They evaluate the speeches and rate them. Each of the maybe have three evaluators, and they give everybody a score, and that's how they come up with a winner. Mm -hmm. How how big was the competition? Was there you know 20 people, 100 people? How big was the one the ones you've oh, been to? There were only 
maybe three people competing. We wouldn't oh, have had really? time to have like 100 people. So uh, were the speeches longer? No, they're, they're usually like, like the one I gave five to seven minutes. Okay, cool. Um, so you were talking about evaluator for any of our listeners who have never been to a Toastmaster meeting, you know, and maybe they're interested in exploring this and, and you know, becoming better public speakers. What would someone expect when they walk into a Toastmaster meeting? What, like, what will happen? Coming for the first time as a guest? Yeah, yeah. So in our club, at least, and I'm sure the other clubs, we try to make people feel welcome. Uh, the officers will greet the, the individual and how, how you do. Welcome to our club. What, what, what's your interest? Why did you decide to come? How did you hear about us? And the, uh, as a guest, generally as a first-time guest, you'll be asked to, during the formal meeting, once the informal session starts and then you start the formal meeting, the guests will get like 30 seconds to introduce themselves. Why did you come and tell something about yourself? And they're also eligible to, to uh, participate in table topics. This is impromptu speeches that are on random subjects. The table topic master, like example of a subject was that I used recently is, tell us, do you believe there's life in other planets? Uh, if you had a time machine, where would you go? And they're eligible, and if they're optionally, they can uh, participate. But in order to give speeches and be an evaluator or participate in other roles, then you have to be a member. You have to become a member? Yeah, okay, okay. Um, one of the things that I do in the class that I teach um, is I use like a table topics list uh, to give to students. Um, so we, we do, you know, about 45 minutes of instruction and then about 45 minutes of people actually crafting speeches and then delivering them. And so we give them table topics to use just because they're, they're great. I mean, they're, they can be very, um, very deep kind of theme or something very light. And, and it's always interesting to hear people, the, the angle that they take when they go to, to, to tell their story through the speech. Um, you know, because I'm a storyteller, the foundation of the class is storytelling. And one of the things that I teach people is that, um, you know, storytelling really enhances a speech and it makes it more memorable. Um, do you find that um, when you're going to deliver a speech, you really try to make sure that you're, I mean, do you have a story in every speech? Um, you know, when you're, when you're delivering those for the, for the group? Uh, for the most part, I have a story. Sometimes uh, if you're doing a review of a movie, I've done movie reviews and book reviews, and I did a series of speeches uh, on Supreme Court and uh, some of the f most famous cases. And there are stories. It really comes down to a story in, 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 in almost every case. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a member of this group, but I was also a right. member of another group and, um, the sort of the head of the president, I guess, of that other group had given a training to everybody. And he had talked about like, when you tell a speech, it's when you're going to give a speech, it's, you know, tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them. And then at the end, wrap it up by telling them what you just told them. Leah Kalka. That's Leah Kalka's yeah. originally originated Yeah, that. but it was a great framework. It's a great framework. Just yes. to, for somebody who's never done it, 
to just kind of remember like the sort of the, you know, the math of threes, you know, it's just the three things you need to remember. Um, and, you know, I've been at Toastmaster meetings and heard speeches when people really infused them with stories and didn't just, just list off facts or, or whatever. And I found that it was a lot more interesting. Are there any particular speeches that you've heard maybe recently at a meeting that really stand out for you? Maybe because of the storyline? Um, yeah, well, the, uh, if you want to... The table topics today, this person you know, Rob Alcanza, he was talking about losing his brother and how he talked to his brother in the final days, and that was very moving. Uh, Another guy, another another longtime member, Arthur Fox. He was asked in the table topics to talk about a candidate he he backed that lost, and he said, "George McGovern." I worked for George McGovern, and wow. he we thought he was doing great because uh, we 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 were in Massachusetts, and everybody said they would vote for him, and then he discovered uh, he only won Massachusetts, the only state he won. And it brought me right back. That, that's my story. I work for Judge McGovern, too. And then I ended up getting that bumper sticker that said, don't blame me, I'm from Massachusetts. I put it on my car, and uh, I was working at a defense plant contractor, so there weren't a lot of sympathy. Most of my colleagues didn't agree with me. So, mm, boy. Uh, so that kind of brought that back. Sometimes you hear a speech, and it brings back something in your own memory, and that's, that's what makes it interesting, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stories are memorable. So if if somebody, one of our listeners, wants to get better at their public speaking, um, you know, what, what tips would you give them, having been in Toastmasters as long as you've been? Well, like, uh, practice, or practice, practice, and more practice is, 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 is really the basic answer. Uh, you join Toastmasters, you get a lot of uh, feedback, uh, you give a speech, you get an evaluator in our club. Sometimes we have other more than one evaluator. Uh, and uh, in our club also, we assign you, if you're a new member, we assign you a mentor, and they'll help you understand how to fulfill the roles. So if you start going every week, you'll get more comfortable speaking. It'll be a friendly audience of people you know. And I don't get nervous anymore at Toastmasters because I'm so... I know everybody, and I'm so familiar. Um, I've also, and you could also, another option is to hire a professional speaking coach, and I've actually, I've actually done that myself in the past. Oh, really? You get, you get more, more, uh, more professional uh, response, and uh, you get one-on-one, -on -one, one help that way. That was a long time ago. Do you remember any of the tips they gave you? Anything well, off the top of your head? I've got to tell you that we're, we're on mics now and you've got the level control, but the, the, mo the biggest feedback I usually get is you speak too softly. <laughs> there are people that, there are some people that you, have never been asked to speak up, but I'm not one of those. I, uh, he's usually, he was telling me to speak, speak up, and I have a hard time doing that because it feels like shouting to me. And I did read this book about introverts, and they say introverts tend to, to, to speak more softly. Mm -hmm. So that was a tip, to speak up. 
Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah, I got that hint from my coach, and I, and I still get it today, and I'm still, I'm still working on it, frankly. Yeah. It's always, it's always a journey, isn't it? It's just yeah, we're always evolving. Um, you know, I, I agree with the whole practice piece. You know, I, uh, I recently uh, got an opportunity to speak uh, on the moth stage, and, um, and you know, there's sort of that, the, one of the things that they talked about, and maybe you have a thought on this, uh, they said, you need to rehearse, you need to practice, you need to get the rhythm of the story, but it shouldn't just be a recitation. That's kind of what I was telling you earlier. That's why I don't write down every word and just read it. I kind of have, I know what I want to cover and I've given this speech like four or five times now, and every time it's a little different. And I think that's, I was thinking about that this week. You know, what is the difference between, you know, presenting and speaking and recitation? And I think that that's it. You know, reading it word for word every time exactly the same would be a recitation, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm also a member of a memoir group, and we... And that's writing. We so we write we write memoirs and then we present it to each other and critique them. So that that's a little different. In that case, it's you're writing word for word. So writing's a little different than speaking. In writing, you can you have to go over it several times and you polish it. Up, try to get it as perfect as you can and constantly constantly change it. But it, you're right. I think I think the speeches I've heard that are the most that I connect with the most are the ones that feel most conversational. Right. Um, you know, when, when it's just, when I can see somebody reading or, or it sounds like it's being read, I, I don't make the same connection. And you're right. It, I've told that I've told a few stories a few times and they're just a little different Yeah. every time. Well, there's some people that can speak, can read and act as act as they're used to doing that. They, they can read and it sounds like conversation. But not everybody can do that. <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So as we're wrapping up, is there anything else you want to add? Any other in- advice you might have? I would just add the advice, really, well, what I've been saying all along is get out there and do it. <coughs> Join Toastmaster or a similar group. And get, get in the other, I guess another piece of advice I give would be to, if you have to give a speech on an audience that you're not familiar with, Give it first in a familiar audience. And we offer that in Toastmasters. If you have to give a speech for another group, come to Toastmasters and give it there first. Get some feedback and get familiar with it. Now that's great advice. So, well, that's all the time we have for today. Um, thank you so much for coming and, and doing this podcast with us. I, I love public speaking and I want to just be good at it. And I think, you know, um, I think it's such an important skill for everyone to have. And I think when you infuse those speeches with stories, it just, they just connect better. So, um, so thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was great fun. And to our listeners, whether you hear us locally from the BTV studios in Bedford, Massachusetts, or across the globe on such podcast channels as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Prime, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Happy storytelling.